Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey there, Solar Warriors. Welcome back. Thank you for giving us a chance to earn your attention and lending us your ears and the only non-renewable resource you've got. And that, of course, is your time. Today's entrepreneur is someone I've been following for the better part of a decade through companies he's founded, uh, some of which you'll certainly recognize. And he is an inspiration. He's helped hundreds get into the solar industry. He's a pioneer for residential solar and residential solar financing in particular. Mr. Jordan Fruget has been instrumental in helping oil country get off get off the fossil fuel ferris wheel as it were and uh, and move into renewable energy solar in particular we're going to dig into the kinds of businesses that he started what he sees is as successful and succeeding and some of the traps that he's seen in the industry over his decade plus entrepreneurial experience I hope that you are subscribed to the show, but if this is your first time listening, once you've been convinced that this, in fact, is a place that you turn to, please subscribe. We've got more than 600 interviews of founders, clean energy icons just like Jordan. Their startup advice is here to help you in your career, so I hope that you will continue to tune in. For now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Okay, well, as I said before, Jordan Fruget is an industry icon, in my opinion. He's the founder and president of a company, Fast Track Energy Services. That is his fourth, I believe, startup venture. Is that right, Jordan? That's right. Man, that's incredible. Well, welcome to Suncast. Today, we're going to dig into your 17 plus years of experience in renewables. You know, what got you uh, into the solar industry to begin with? how you became the co-founder of not one, but three companies with our friend John Berger at Sonova and some of the lessons learned in the life and times of Jordan Fruget. But first, I'd like to ask you a pretty straightforward question because let's kind of reverse engineer this from the back uh, to the front. How do you describe to folks in the Houston area, maybe at a dinner party, uh, wherever you find yourself kind of talking about the problem at large that you've created Fast Track to solve? So what I share with people is that fast track, we install solar and batteries on people's homes. And then we're there to make sure that we maintain and service those so that they continue to operate for years to come. So Jordan, you've been in sort of tackling this problem from different angles, both financing and now installing these projects. Where did you see a gap in the market that wasn't serving homeowners appropriately. So in, in a sense, I'd love for you to introduce me to Fast Track and, and why your particular approach to it now is going to solve the problems that you've seen in the market for the last decade. Sure, 
Sure. Well, I think, you know, without get diving into the whole background, you know, part of the, you know, my experience is I was able to spend time throughout the country visiting with literally hundreds and hundreds of installers from around the country. And the area in which I saw the most challenges and the biggest problems was not that companies couldn't figure out how to educate customers and talk them into putting solar batteries on their home, but it was actually the execution on the back end, the fulfillment of uh, the projects is where companies got themselves into to, to trouble. And, uh, and ultimately, you know, I felt like that was an incredibly hard part of the entire, you know, value chain. And so I wanted to throw myself at that and see if we couldn't help continue to uh, develop the industry and solve a problem, which I had seen, you know, literally all over the country. And that problem is specifically around the the systemization, right? The productization of delivery on building these systems. That's right. That's right. It's the it's the actual the back end administration, project management, coordination that goes into uh, installing a solar system. Mm -hmm. So I think you know the analogy that I'll share with people is that I'd compare it more to an iceberg than anything else, right? And so what. What people see is they see the the men and women on the roof installing the panels. And, you know, that's kind of what their idea of a solar installation is. It's just a bunch of just a bunch of people running around on rooftops. And, you know, that really is a much smaller percentage of the overall work stack. And most of that is done back at the office. And it's the coordination, it's the logistics, it's the permitting, the design, the engineering. Those things are what you know, ultimately lead to a good experience that, that proper planning yeah. and preparation yields performance. And so it's, you know, mm -hmm. that's the stuff behind the scenes that most people miss out on. And that's where we, I think, have really chosen to focus a lot of our efforts is on, Hey, how do we, how do we really focus there and execute well so that ultimately our customers, you know, on the day of install have a good experience. Does fast track therefore offer services that other people can use. And I guess what I'm prying for here, trying to understand is how have you taken what you've learned from a decade of building some of the most notable solar companies, certainly in Texas, and I would say in the US and maybe the world, how are you applying that learning? Is it through software? Is it is it a series of checks and balances? I'm wondering how much what you are doing can either be useful to others through service contracts or, you know, is it a franchise model? Kind of unpack for me the, the IP, as it were, that under underscores the kind of business you're building now. Because in my experience, you've attempted to build scalable businesses. And what we know about most construction firms is they're just not scalable. So I'm wondering how you're approaching that. Yeah. Well, that, that that's a great question and, and is probably what this, you know, differentiates us from a lot of the other guys out there drawing from my past experience and we definitely over-engineered and invested a heck of a lot more money into the software um, that we used to run our business. And so we built off of, as with uh, really all my preceding companies, I built it off the salesforce.com platform. And to do that um, required me to make, you know, really a substantial personal investment uh, to do so. What I've seen, mm -hmm. uh, and going back to the thing, is historically people don't want to spend money on that because they don't they don't feel like there's a lot of value in there. They want to get up to speed, and then they'll they'll eventually get around to doing it. The problem is, is that that results in companies that then find themselves 
oh, crap, we've actually caught the bus. We're seeing some growth. This is great. And now I've got to go figure out how to change the engines out on the plane while it's flying through the air. You've just made yourself you know, and your life so much more difficult. So um, again, with the, with the blessing of a prior experience, I invested way more and spent way more time on that um, up front. And I think actually, you know, we started the business in late 2019. And so we were just getting going in 2020 uh, when there was a small thing we may remember, right? COVID um, that kind of slowed things yeah. down a little bit. And in retrospect, it was an incredible blessing for us because it gave really me the opportunity to spend a lot more time on that process, on the systems, et cetera, before, you know, launching full speed ahead into, hey, let's go generate some revenue, make some make some money. That is really ultimately what is underneath at Fast Track. A lot of the systems and the integrations we have between, you know, our core software that we use to run our business and then a lot of the other softwares that we use to engage with our sales teams, that we use to engage with our customers, our customer experience team. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's an integration of, um, of a bunch of those different um, software services that help us um, manage and run our business. I have so many questions. <laughs> so one that comes to mind is, uh, do you know Geraldine Gray, our friend over at Endium, who's one of the Salesforce, uh, uh, what do they call them, ninjas? <laughs> Geraldine is great. No, she was my system architect on the Salesforce implementation. I had a sense that was true. Yeah. We had Geraldine on the show. Um, they partnered with us back in 2021, I want to say. like, um, Yeah, a little before I met you, actually. And I know they they had worked a little bit with Sonova, I think, and uh, a little with EDF. Um, but it is it's remarkable how how cumbersome Salesforce can be, and I know that it scares a lot of folks away. And so I figured if you have gone deep on Salesforce in Houston, you probably yeah. have met Indium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Salesforce is great. It's uh, extremely expensive and extremely difficult, but it's great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. What else then that others might recognize is in the software stack that you utilize? And I know we've had also uh, the guys from Interflow on. Um, I'm going to have uh, Dan from Solo on soon. I'm wondering if you guys utilize any of the sort of the more common software that's that's solar specific. Yeah, absolutely. So we were um, one of... Sp- Spencer and Interflow's first five customers. Um, so we wow. know those guys extraordinarily well. Um, feel very fortunate to engage with them um, at an early part in the building of our business, but the building of their business as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also work with Dan and Solo, and so know those guys great. From you know, um, you know, we we are a third party solar installer, right? So we we don't actually do yeah. any direct sales. We partner with guys that want to go out there and educate homeowner, homeowners and, and drive sales. And so we want to meet them where they are most comfortable. And so whether that be through the Interflow mm-hmm. platform or that whether that be through the Solo platform or others, um, mm-hmm. we're kind of like, hey, we we want to be open to whatever works best for their business. And mm-hmm. uh, and then once we sort of consume that project, then again, then we're going to take and run with it. Um, on our systems because that's what works best for us, right? And then we feel like that we can um, run our process most effectively. But yeah, both both great companies yeah. and have done a lot for, I think, advancing solar uh, in the U.S. So do you feel like you are offering a service kind of similar to many folks probably recognize Titan as a third-party integrator or installer? Is that the kind of business model that you're adopting is uh, working 
with the sales orgs and in enabling them to sell and you to build? Is that the model? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's exactly right is, and it's really sort of a continuation of what I've been doing for a long time. I think for me, you'll see more specialization as the industry continues to evolve. Um, so there used to be a divergence of opinions in that, you know, one group that was like, hey, no, we really need green trucks and vans everywhere and we're going to stack the entire thing and it's all margin stacking. They're no longer in business. Um, and then there was more the idea of like, hey, we're going to specialize. We're going to be a finance company. You'd be an install company. You'd be a sales company. You pick what you want to do. But it's really more specialization. I think, um, in my opinion, you know, that's really what we've seen help you know, promote the expo- exponential growth we've seen in the U.S., can you give me a sense of the kind of scale that a company like yours can achieve? Is it going, do you see a company like Fast Track being a nationwide company or are, is the industry going to be made up of more regional and super regional installers the way that we've seen in other, in other regions and other parts of the world? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. And look, um, I may be totally wrong, but you know, in my opinion, I think we're going to see regionals to super regionals. I think the manifest destiny approach to solar has failed over and over and over again. And, you know, as well as, as best as I can tell at some point, the additional economies of scale are outweighed by additional burdens within the organization that create friction that lead to poor service. And so, you know, happy to be proven wrong. What fast track is going to be focused on. We're a Gulf coast regional installer. So we install throughout Mm -hmm. Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana. Um, You know, I'm not saying that I won't expand that footprint somewhat, but it's going to touch one of those states if we were to expand into additional markets. People may say, hey, Jordan, Illinois is great. Well, that's terrific. But that's not what we are going to do. (laughs) What we're going to focus on is being the very best Gulf Coast regional installer. And I hope somebody does the same in the Midwest and the Northeast and, you know, and elsewhere. So we'll touch on. Louisiana in a minute, but why Arkansas? We have customers who um, were asking us to go there. And your customer is the sales org. Exactly. Yes. No, the important distinction. My customer is the sales org. The homeowner is the project. Um, And so we want to listen to our customers. And so our customers will ask us, hey, you know, can you support us in a place like Arkansas? Uh, And quite frankly, I think they had a, you know, they had a very poor experience there with some other um, you know, long tail installers. And so we were able to, to kind of fill in and, and meet the demand that they, uh, that they had identified in the market. And of course, Louisiana is a neighboring, con- neighboring state to the country of Texas. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's um, right. It, it, it also um, is a place that you're from. Can you tell me a bit about um, kind of where you grew up? Yeah. So, uh, you know, Fruge is definitely a, a good Southern Louisiana Cajun name, but I grew up in a, a small town in West Texas up near Amarillo, um, you know, 15, 16,000 people, real small town. You knew most everybody felt like. And, uh, you know, that's where I grew up. Later, went to school yeah. at Texas A&M University just outside of Houston, about an hour down the road. And, you know, spent four great years there and, and then moved on from then. What was the conversation like for you as a young person uh, around the dinner table? Was it close knit family? Were there any early signs of entrepreneurial tendencies? Well, it definitely uh, close knit family. And so I was blessed. I was one of four uh, children. You know, most nights we would have a family dinner, you know, lots of great memories and conversations growing up like that. 
uh, definitely a lively household. And, you know, we were, again, very fortunate. In fact, this is past weekend. We celebrated my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. And we had um, 26 wow. of our immediate family to get, that got a chance to get together and um, have a lot of fun. So that was that was really good times. But as far as entrepreneurial tendencies, um, you know, absolutely not. You know, my my dad graduated from the University of Texas and then went to work for one company and worked there his entire career until he retired. I'm certainly kind of stepped out from there. And and I think that's really what I thought I was going to do. Right. That was the initial plan. Um, yeah. And, you know, I graduated at Texas A&M, did very well. What you study at A&M? It was uh, called industrial distribution. So supply chain operations, essentially um, kind of a mix of engineering and business, which was a terrific fit for me. You know, I started off uh, initially as an electrical or a chemical engineer major until I figured out what chemical engineers did and said, that sounds awful. I don't want to do that. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, I was able to turn to transition within the, within the engineering school and get into ID, which was which was fantastic for me. And allowed me to go work for a couple of great companies up in Dallas. And then, you know, that's ultimately what kind of got me into solar is, you know, working for the a large corporation, highly encouraged to get your master's. So, you know, I was working and then getting my master's in the evening uh, up in Dallas. And this was in 2005. And uh, as part of a course, I put together a business plan for a residential solar company. And that was kind of just a fortuitous um you know, chain of events that led me to to kind of choose that subject and kind of dive into. And it, mm. and it really piqued my interest because, you know, I felt like, you know, how amazing is it that we have the ability now to generate a substantial mm. portion of our energy at home, that sort of independence and self-reliance uh, look as a native Texan, we're all about that. Right. And I think when you add yeah. in the fact of the, you know, the benefits to the environment, you know, that's a, a, an extremely compelling um, value proposition now, but this was, this was in 2005. So there was not a lot of solar going mm -hmm. on in Texas. And quite frankly, there was not a lot of solar going on period back then. And where were you, where were you studying that uh, your graduate degree? Uh, University of Texas in Dallas. Is that where you met John? So th that, that story is actually more fun. Um, well, some of my very closest friends from from school, um, he is their brother-in-law. And so it was early 2006. Um, I was at a wedding and talking to one of my buddies about, you know, I just started looking at renewable energy. I thought it was extremely interesting. And they were like, hey, you got to talk to my brother-in-law. He just he just got out of, out of business school. He's back in Houston. And so literally that's what it prompted the conversation. And that ultimately ended up me visiting with John down at Houston in you know, early 2006. And uh, I drove wow. back to, uh, to Dallas after we met that weekend and quit my job and dropped out of school and moved to Houston. And that's, that's kind of sort of prompted and started my entrepreneurial journey. Absolutely. Had a great job working for a terrific company, getting my MBA and just kind of dropped everything and said, Hey, let's go let's go do this. And, uh, slept on a friend's couch for a few weeks until, uh, I found a place to stay. And that ultimately led to starting the first company called standard renewable energy, uh, which was a right. residential and commercial, you know, contractor sales. We kind of did everything, you know, as I, as I like to characterize it. So this is from six to 10, you know, that was the rebates and rich guy uh, phase of solar where, yeah. you know, there was no financing, right. It was, uh, 
difficult and we chased, you know, we chased rebate programs. Um, and you know, that business, so so you're in Houston, you're in Houston, but you are building a solar, essentially a solar installation finance company out of Texas, but for other markets where there, is that right? That's right. So we, you know, we were based in Houston, did quite a bit of work in Houston because we had a, uh, a model where we we're looking at both energy, energy efficiency, right? So we ought to really be cognizant of how we're using energy uh, as well as uh-huh. then adding on renewable energy. And so we had offices in Houston, Austin, Dallas, later uh, expanded into Boulder, Colorado, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, Florida, Georgia. So we kind of were really taking it to a lot of different non-typical markets back then with the model. And that was, you know, that was where I cut my teeth in the, the solar industry, learned a lot, but ultimately mm-hmm. prompted a conversation where, hey, if we're going to take this to the masses, right? So if you read books like Crossing the Chasm, right, we've got to ultimately yeah. make this easier before more people, because if it's just sort of a, a small niche that some people do, that's not that interesting. And, right. it, and it needed to be yeah. more interesting, which ultimately led to starting Suncap Financial which was one of the early lease and PPA providers. What I didn't hear you say is California, which surprises me because 2006, when I was starting my solar company, um, the California Solar Initiative was the the tip of the spear. It was kind of California and and New Jersey. I didn't know a ton of folks starting solar companies in Phoenix or Florida or Georgia or even Colorado back then that weren't focused on utility scale stuff. Yeah. Well, I never said that we were the smartest, um, you know, group, but, uh, that's, <laughs> that's, I guess I was probably for now. kind of what, <laughs> what you were seeing in those, in those, in those spaces, uh, rather than whether or not you were too, uh, whether you were, you were smart enough or not, were you following something else though? I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah, there was, there was a major, there was major rebate programs in all those markets. So Austin, uh, energy at the time had a $4 and 50 cent a watt rebate, which, you know, yeah. sounds incredible today. At the time, we felt like it wasn't enough. Um, you know, it wasn't. <laughs> Colorado had terrific rebates and were very supportive of solar back yeah. then. And then, so that was a lot of what was going in the market selection. And you ended up selling that business to Gridpoint. Many listening probably won't recognize Gridpoint, although we did an interview with Peter last year when they raised a, what Series D or something like that for Gridpoint and have been building that business again. But, um, yeah. Before you moved on to Suncap, you sold the business to Gridpoint, and then Suncap was a separate business, right? Well, we sold Standard to Sun to Gridpoint, and then Suncap was also sold to NRG. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's phenomenal. You you were able to build in the in the aughts, build companies that um, within you know four four years for Standard and uh, another two years for Suncap, you had liquidation events, you had exit. Um, as an entrepreneur, that's always uh, a dream, maybe not the dream, but it's a dream. How did the lessons from Standard and Suncap eventually lead to founding Sonova? Well, I think there was there was a lot of hard lessons learned, right? But ultimately, they, there's some some core tenets around understanding the problem you're trying to solve, understanding who your customer is, and then also understanding uh, the importance of data and systems, right? I think that is something I can't stress enough that was always sort of a a key point of any of the businesses. And then, you know, maybe being irrationally uh, skeptical and always questioning and saying, hey, how are we adapting to what's actually going on? Those sort of things. And that really, that general mentality all played into, you know, how do we, how do we set that business up? And then how do we grow that business? But I think it really applies to any business is, you know, 
I think too many times, and and certainly within solar, I've seen this time and time again. Um, just because you can do something doesn't mean you you should do something. There's been a failure by many of the companies that are no longer around, quite frankly, is they spent way too many resources, too much time focused on something just because they can, as opposed to really like, should should you? Is there an example that um, you'd be comfortable talking about? There were some other finance companies, let, let's say that, that were sort of Bay Area based that are no longer around that um, had a great habit of, and we they were, you know, stiff competitors, but they would always focus on what I felt like were cool things, um, but they didn't make money. And I think the mm-hmm. at, at its core, like, great, it's great, it's great to raise money and you want to grow into it. And there's using that capital for growth. That's terrific. But ultimately, you've got to be able to generate margin and then have that cover your operating costs, right? You've got to have something where yeah. you can explain that to, you know, either a five-year-old or your grandmother, whichever one, pick and mm-hmm. be like, hey, here's how this works. I think that's just something that I've always sort of held closely is like, Hey, you got to make sure you're always thinking about that. Um, doesn't mean that yeah. there's not times where it's totally right to really grow into it and to invest more heavily. That makes a lot of sense in, in many cases, but, um, it's gotta be something where it's ultimately reined in and you're focused into, Hey, how are we, how are we running a long-term sustainable business? Sonova by all accounts was a rocket ship to the moon, uh, continues to be a leader in the industry. What do you think you guys got right at Sonova? And for those who don't know your background, not only were you co-founder, but you were chief marketing officer. So those of us that recognize the Sonova brand and the Sonova messaging, that was Jordan Fruget. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, look, I'm incredibly um, proud of what we did there and, and, and continue to be proud of what John and the team are, are doing there. They've, they've grown a fantastic business and they continue to execute very well from, from all accounts. You know, I think, the early days, what we recognized is how important it was to come alongside of our dealers or our partners, as we used to refer to them as, and, um, you know, help propel and help grow their business, um, be easy to engage with, and then, you know, sort of constantly be evaluating and updating the product to meet the needs of your customer, right? You know, case in point, it was, um, you know, early days and, we partnered with a, a great company in uh, out of Utah and our kind of, you know, sort of core, how we thought about selling solar was not conducive to guys who wanted to go knock door to door. Right. And, you know, this is, I think really is an illustration of kind of how, how we approach things. And we said, okay, well, let's just go back to the drawing board, came back in a couple of days. It's like, all right, here's how we think that we can support selling, you know, leases and PPAs and a door to door model. And, you know, that really sort of propagated a lot of growth as that has still been, you know, a very significant, if not the, the majority channel for the entire industry. And so just because we had an idea of like, hey, here's how you want to go sell solar, which, again, was probably mm-hmm. influenced by historically like getting utility bill, heavy engineering, heavy sort of um, proposal oh, yeah. generation to being like, hey, how do we make this as easy as possible for the, the end user, the homeowner? to enter into this agreement so that we can get focused on building a project. Right. And I think, I think that's one of those things, which was illustrative of that sort of mentality of, Hey, we always got to be moving. We always got to be growing. We always got to be looking because I mean, solar, you joke, right. Is that each year is like uh, each year in solar is like dog years, right. It's like seven years. And so time yep. moves incredibly quickly and you've got to be able to adopt to what, 
you know, what opportunities as well as challenges that are presented in the market. Well said. Before we press record, one of the things that we talked a little bit about was this idea of growth. And you, you mentioned uh, driving around in green trucks. Uh, certainly some are smiling, recognizing. Uh, I'm, I'm recognizing kind of all the companies you're alluding to. So this is fun for me. But but what are your thoughts around sustainable growth in our industry? We've seen a lot of dramatic failures. We've seen a lot of um, slow and steady progress and success. Can you talk about growth? You mentioned that Fast Track is not destined to be a nationwide uh, installer. And we do know there are some who have that as an expressed desire. They want to be a nationwide installer, um, as an example, one category. But can you talk a little about growth and how you think about it from the standpoint now of a decade plus in the game? Yeah. Well, look, uh, I mean, I think at the very, you know, I think growth is good, right? Uh, growth is important. But I think too often what I've observed in our industry is that really growth is only a focus of the ego of some of the leaders of those organizations. Mm -hmm. And it's not growth is not approached in such a way that's really about how does this benefit the customer? Right. And so mm -hmm. I think you always just got to go back to that because that's what the business's entire purpose is, is to serve and create value for those customers uh, and such that, you know, as you can do that more and more, mm -hmm. then there's growth opportunities. And I think when it gets flipped on its head and these guys say, hey, let's go grow this nationwide business for as far as I can tell, no other reason than ego. Um, I think that's a problem. You know, I think when you look at the sort of the big buckets and where business, businesses fall is right. You've got residential, you've got financing businesses, you've got sales business and you got a fulfillment business. And so maybe you're in one or two of those. Um, some are in all three, very few. Right. But those. Um, the ability to focus, mm -hmm. the ability to, to lean into those sort of things to continue to get better on behalf of your customer, really, I think that's good. Um, I think growth for just the sake of, hey, we want to go put our name on the side of a you know basketball stadium or something. To me, that's just not really my style. And that doesn't really seem like it helps the men and women inside the company or your customers. And I think one thing I do want to mention is that, you know, a real benefit of growth and um, what, you know, my, I'm always really thinking about is, you know, for me, yeah, it's great that we can help more customers and we can build more projects, but the real benefit is that it helps my internal team. It gives them advancement opportunities, right? It gives them people, it gives people the opportunity mm -hmm. to move from that entry-level coordinator position to maybe they're a lead position and maybe from a lead, then they can go to a manager position. So from that perspective, like growth is actually hundred percent. Great. I love it. As long as it's done with the right intentions. I feel like what a little bit of what you're talking about here is the culture of the company. And I'd love to hear your thoughts around culture as a component of the business model and the special sauce, because ultimately a business isn't made up of systems. It's made up of people. Can you talk a bit about that? So, I mean, to, try not to get too philosophical, but um, I think this is probably, you know, personally as, as how I've probably changed the most from the early years to, to where I am now is sort of thinking differently about that dichotomy. So I think in the early years, it was much more of a, 
hey, I'm the leader. I'm driving this thing. I know what's right. You guys better get in line. And that's a trap that's very easy to fall into, um, especially when you're early and you do have a lot of domain expertise is to do uh, is to be like, hey, I'm pushing and everyone better kind of dip their uh, oar in the water and start pulling. And mm-hmm. I think as I've progressed and really what I you know hope here is uh, and what we focus a lot on is more putting people in position for success. And I really feel like my, my, my job has changed from, you know, making sure everything gets done to like, Hey, I want to make sure that everyone's got what they need. And if they have what they need Mm. in terms of clear direction, in terms of resources and the ability to make mistakes. So letting them, and, and I see it happening, but what I've learned is like, it's better long-term for me actually to let them make some decisions and make mistakes than it is for me to come over and Bigfoot them and then change what they were going to do. Cause otherwise they're not going to continue to grow and evolve. And ultimately I think, you know, I've kind of kind of take a different approach is like, Hey, you know what? You're probably right. Right. So like you're, you're, you're how you're coming up to the answer for this problem. That's probably right. So I'm going to go with you as opposed to what I historically would have been said, Hey, I'm right. Let me tell you how to fix this. And so that's, that's sort of been sort of a change. And what we try to do here is let people, do their jobs and equip them and say, Hey, um, how can I be helpful? What can you do? Um, and then, you know, the, another part of it is like, we, we get together regularly for two things. Every Monday is metric Monday. So that one thing that I think it's important um, that I don't hear when we interview people from other companies is they have no idea what's going on in the company. And so mm. look, you, we have people come and go and they're, you know, this may not be the right place for them forever, but, no one's going to leave here and be like, hey, I had no idea what was going on at the company. Yeah, you did. Because every single Monday we cover the key metrics of the organization because I want people to understand what they do and how that interacts with the different parts of the business so that we're all equipped to do a better job for our customer. Right. So I think that's that's a big part of what we do. And then we also have dedicated time every week to train on not just their job function roles, but cha- train on, hey, you know, how do inverters work? Um, how do how do the how do we think about design and engineering? Well, you know, do they necessarily need to know that to their job? No. But do we want them to, to learn that, to know and understand how these things are um, tied together? Absolutely. Right. Um, and my hope is ultimately someday they're going to they're going to either continue to grow within the organization, take bigger leadership roles, or they're going to go into, you know, maybe they'll start their own company. Right. Maybe they'll go um, and yeah. take on a bigger challenge. That's awesome. And I think that's what we should hope for is that we have more people who know what's going on, have a good brain, want to go make a difference and then equip them to go do that. Yeah. Uh, Peter Brand, uh, P- Richard Branson says to equip folks to train them well enough that they could leave and treat them well enough that they won't. That's right. You know, so I sort of hinted at a question early on of why get back into construction of all things. Candidly, it's the lowest profit margin in the industry. It's at the bottom of the smile curve assembly, right? Like it is the hardest piece of the business. It's the often single digit margins. And I don't mean to be this to be denigrating. It's kind of the equivalent for me of like a, a wealthy tech entrepreneur starting a, a winery. <laughs> uh, best way to lose a million dollars is to um, start with two in, the, in a yeah. winery or whatever, whatever the phrase is. So I'm, it, I'm, I'm really genuinely curious when I ask um, why focus on construction as a, as a component where you're going to put a lot of effort, time, ingenuity, and, um, and then how 
did you start to realize that you're achieving what we'd consider product market fit? So I was, I was chuckling because you're exactly right. I mean, it's, uh, and it, it is so funny to me that historically there's been so many companies who have such a um, misguided perception of, you know, how much money is being made in the fulfillment and the construction part of the business. It is, mm. it is tough. It takes a lot of capital, um, low margins, lots of ways that things can go wrong. Um, and I think to answer your question is like, I've just seen it go wrong so many times and it's frustrating whenever, you know, you've, um, for myself, dedicated my career to this industry and you continue to see jokers out mm-hmm. there who just make poor decisions and it ultimately reflects poorly on all of us. And so to me, it felt like an opportunity to go tackle a challenge, which it is. Um, I can attest to that. But that will ultimately kind of yield the same result, which all the other organizations I've you know, started, which, hey, how do we continue to propel renewable energy solar batteries, other, you know, um, as the market continues to evolve. And it was very intentional for us to be fast track energy services because we're not just going to be a solar company. Right. I mean, as battery technology evolves, that's going to be a bigger part of the business as EVs, as, um, other smart home devices, um, continue to get bundled with solar, um, there'll be a lot more opportunities, which I think if we have to, um, we have to change radically how we've thought about generating and delivering electricity to homeowners. And ultimately I feel like at the end of the day, you're still going to need men and women who can manage projects, who can uh, yeah. be on site with the right people, with the right materials and the right experience and expertise to execute on those projects. And so that's, that's a big problem because if we can have the best you know, sort of tech and everything, but if we can't get it to the customers and we can't execute on those sort of things, then a lot of that kind of falls by the wayside. And so in some small way, I felt like that was an area where we could continue to tackle these challenges and be part of the broader energy transition. Have you been curious about utility scale storage? SunGrow's revolutionary liquid-cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape. Its built-in DC-to-DC coupling combined with other features like higher energy density and 3% slower battery degradation make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash SunGrow. You know, when you partner with... Our partner, Trina Solar US, you get more than best-in-class Vertex modules. You also gain a bankable partner for optimized compatibility and improved system value. With the Trina Pro Utility Scale Solution, or C&I Solutions, Trina Solar is the only PV module manufacturer in the United States that offers one-stop system integration solutions, including Trina Tracker, inverters, and full BOS support to lower your levelized cost of electricity. Learn more at mysuncast.com forward slash Trina. What were some of the early obstacles that you remember running into and thinking, oh, wow, this is not something I expected? Really starting a business right before COVID-19 and a mass pandemic Ah. shutdown. That was totally missed that one. Um, and I think it's uh, the other one is, which fortunately I've had the experience is, 
you know, you're working on it, you're working on it. And a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of challenges and setbacks. And then every once in a while, you'll just catch that and you'll see this growth externally quickly. And you just have to yeah. be prepared for that so that when that opportunity arises, you're able to execute on it and um, continue to uh, put in the work and help the company move in the right direction. But it's it's never like, hey, one plus one equals two. It's like one and one and one and one and one. And, and then there's six. Right. So it's it's a lot of that yeah. every day going to work, trying to trying to make sure things are taken care of and you're prepared. So when the moment arrives, then you're able to you know, hopefully capitalize and excel. How do you characterize the nature of the competitiveness of your business and how you've been able to stay competitive? I mean, it seems like the Resi EPC market is, um, as I said, low margin, rife with competition. I am familiar with some of the sales orgs who look at this number that they call a red line and they only care about the red line. And um, like how, do you, how do you differentiate yourself in that market and stay competitive? With great effort, um, I can tell you. But, uh, you know, the... You know, red lines are you certainly you have to be competitive in within the market. Um, I think the main thing is I just don't think I don't spend any time thinking about what other company ABC is doing. What mm -hmm. I know is I know what the people uh, within our company are capable of and what, you know, what our numbers are, which fortunately we've got great insight to what those numbers are because we have we've built on a, a great tech stack that gives us better insight and data than I think most do. And so we focus on those sorts of things. Um, and then one of those key things is speed, right? Even um, hence the name Fast Track is um, we've mm -hmm. been averaging this year, you know, right around 30 days from contract to install. And that's extraordinarily difficult wow. to do when you're covering as large of an area as we are. And you're, you know, you're putting in as many projects as we are yeah, day after day after day. I mean, you know, I look at every single project every single week. And it's just, it's not abnormal for me to see 12, 13, 15 days. Yeah. And that means a lot to the salesperson. It means a lot to everybody because I think, yeah, the salesperson, great. They're going to get paid a little bit faster, but like, look, if I'm a customer, I don't want to sign up and then being told, Hey, in six months, we'll be back and we'll figure out how to get this thing going for you. Like that never happens. Yeah. <laughs> like what? Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, don't, I want it, I want it now. All right. And maybe, maybe if not immediately now, I want it like at least in some proximity to now. And, um, yeah. I think we have to do better, um, uh, to do that. The other benefit. So as a business, obviously is the faster you can turn that, um, the more money you make. Right. So like, mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, rethinking that philosophy of, of like, you, you gotta remember is like, don't act like you're a contractor where the best thing you can look for is a six month backlog. You know, I mean, that's, that's great. Make, make yeah. you feel better at night. But like, for me, if I can have all my projects built in the next 30 days, great. I'll go get more. But like, that's the mentality of is like, Hey, if we're ready to go, let's, let's go do it now. As a business, are you also doing procurement? You're managing warehouses, all that kind of thing. So yes, I mean we have we have warehouses. We buy a lot of material. Um, a lot of that we depend on, and we work through distribution. So we have a couple of great distribution yeah. partners. I think again, maybe going back to ego is like, how am I going to say that I'm doing a, a better job than a distribution organization that's sole purpose in life is to go do that? Right? They they add value. Yeah. Right? So let's recognize that and not you know sort of take a position as like, hey, what are you doing? I can do it better. Well, you probably can't. And you're yeah. probably actually carrying costs and you're handling costs 
um, are much higher than you actually think. And so, sure, yep, maybe you saved a few pennies on the the buy side, but like, are you really saving it? I don't know. Uh, so for us, that's what works best. So you've been directly involved in coming up with and really, I mean, ideating on creating financial tools to accelerate the market for the last decade plus. Can you talk about the impact of financing and, and rising interest rates, lenders fees on the residential market as you see it right now? Yeah. Look, I mean, financing is the table at which we all eat. So it's incredibly important to our industry. And, you know, things we have observed certainly firsthand for us is, you know, Q1 in a, a rapidly rising um, price environment was slower. Um, just a lot of people just chose not to. And I think also it's, you know, there's a transition is that the sales organization had to sort of go through and learn that, hey, I've got to sell this differently. I mean, you're yeah. seeing monthly payments for similar systems last summer to this summer go up by 40 to 50% um, because you have higher APRs and you have high lender fees. Um, so I think, uh, you know, that's taken some some time for people to adjust. But, you know, what's unassailable is the long-term value proposition of solar, right? Nothing else allows right. you that ability to generate your own electricity, um, use it on site and have long-term savings relative to utility companies who have not customers, but rate payers and have already, in many cases, years of planned rate increases already in the books. So like, you don't have to guess what they're mm -hmm. going to do. So it's still a lot, it's still a long-term great value proposition. I think there has just been adjustment um, as people learned how to, to sell it differently. You know, for one, we just, you know, coming off of May, you know, we had our best month ever. So we're certainly not yeah. seeing um, people. We, we definitely saw a transition period where I think where people were adjusting, but I think the demand is still out there, thankfully for all of us. So I'm curious what you see sales orgs turning to, uh, what financiers are starting to leverage. We've seen you and I many cycles of this, right? We started in third-party ownership, offering PPAs to homeowners, um, and then rates went through the floor and made more sense for leases and that's the primary product of companies like Sonova uh, or has been for the last you know, five plus years. So do you see more uh, a trend back towards third-party ownership? You know, I mean, we are seeing from from zero in Texas to not zero. Um, so, yes. So we are seeing some more. It's still a pretty small percentage today. Um, I don't get too lost in the differences between the two and, and having, again, spent the better part of a decade doing both loans and leases and PPAs. They're both great tools that ultimately help a customer choose to power their home with solar. So I don't, I don't really get into this whole argument about it's going to be PPAs or TPO versus loans. You know, as long as it is continue to be about, Hey, how, how power people being equipped with the opportunity for choice, uh, which is ultimately what we're trying to do. And there's advantages to, yeah. to each option. And then I think, you know, what will be more interesting to see is as the there's better guidance on the um, additional tax benefits through the IRA, then that mm -hmm. may tip the scales on an overall blended uh, cost of capital that would put the advantage within a TPO market versus a loan market. But they're both great. Like, I mean, yeah. I, I just don't get into there's always this argument of like, hey, it's going to be TPO or it's going to be loan. Great. Terrific. 
So either one works. Well, one of the factors that folks, homeowners have to take into consideration is what exactly is getting financed uh, as attachment rates for batteries and increasingly um, solar being one component of a smart home environment as that increases the financing package also increases. Um, could you talk a bit about the impact that you've seen batteries make on the homeowner decision, um, where the batteries actually make sense and how you guys think about or sell that uh, to in both directions to the homeowner and to the sales organizations? Right. So I think, you know, and this may be somewhat controversial, but like I maintain batteries are, are not for backup and um, batteries are terrific for, um, critical loads for load arbitrage for net metering insurance, essentially. Um, but I think the, one of the biggest challenges with batteries that we continue to see at our level is, you know, you don't have to tell a customer what a battery does, right? What does a battery do? They know what it does. The problem is, is that that bias is then extended to what they expect from a battery to do in the home. And so, you know, batteries, when properly applied, are terrific, right? I've got one on my own home. Powers critical loads. It can store excess generation, so I'm not pushing power back to, to, to the grid at wholesale versus retail rates. That's a terrific application for batteries. The challenge, again, that we face is that people, again, take their biases, apply it to what they think a battery is going to do, and perhaps you have a less experienced sales rep, and they think that it's going to power their entire home. So when I look at escalated customer cases, almost every single time, Nico, there's a battery attached to it. And it goes back to that issue wow. that batteries are not for backup. And that's what people naturally inherently think. So look, batteries will evolve. I think, you know, Enphase, for example, has recently uh, announced their next gen battery, which is going to be great. But, you know, you're still looking mm -hmm. at 10 kilowatt hours on a, on a normal battery. They're doubling the amperage output, which is great because that helps you serve higher inductive loads. Um, but I think, you know, the question is, is like, really, what's the right application for batteries? And then what's the right product market fit there that's really going to help drive exponential growth? And that's where, yeah. again, I think the more interesting thing is, you know, looking at um, the BPP and, you know, how are batteries leveraged by larger system operators to um, lessen demand or push supply back onto the market on a distributed basis. That's extremely interesting. I think a great fit for batteries. The, hey, I want to back up my you know, six air conditioners on my big ass house and use that as a battery, which we get those questions all the time. Right. It's not good. That's not good. It's not what it's for. Not what they're made for. Yeah. No. Question that you may or may not want to ask, but what battery do you have on your home? How'd you select it? Was it sort of bundled as what as the as the system that you put on your home? Or did you specifically say, Nope, I know this technology this is what I want? Um, it's an in phase battery. Um, and it's because I had in phase in my house already and and then I had an extra in-phase battery that we took off a customer's home because they were incredibly upset that the, bat the one battery didn't back up their 4,000 square foot house and power all their air conditioners. So we took it off and refunded them their yeah. money. So I had a spare battery I couldn't sell. So that went on my house. Benefits of the uh, perks of the job. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Well, with that, with that in mind, I, I kind of assumed since you knew more details and sort of talked about the in-phase battery, the, my back of the, in the back of my mind, I assumed it was probably an in-phase battery. It's really interesting to see 
the the competitive marketplace for batteries right now in the residential space. Uh, but that's for another podcast, I'm sure. What do you feel, uh, having seen the rise of the solar industry in the United States and been instrumentally a part of it, what does the future of residential solar look like from your vantage point? Hopefully, it again, just becomes something where it's not sold, but actually can be purchased. And I think that comes with an appliance. <laughs> right. I think I bet a look, I think you look at markets where there is a lot greater penetration and it flips. Right. So going back to that yeah. customer adoption journey. And I think what's going to be ultimately my feeling is you're going to see bigger brands come in and you're going to see a lot more bundling. So you're going to see combos of solar and you know, fill in the blank, whether that be smart home, whether that yeah. be EV chargers, whether that be, you know, energy companies yeah. that are getting value for um, what the system is doing and how that impacts the grid. I think that's where I think that happens. Um, and I think ultimately that helps drive down that customer acquisition cost. Um, you know, a lot yeah. gets made. I think like, we're already seeing that, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're hundred percent. I mean, you're seeing definitely seeing that a like, lot more. I have Kohler faucets in my home and now I can buy a Kohler inverter. That's right. Um, and then you're also seeing, you know, more people get comfortable with it and they're buying over the phone, which has a lower acquisition costs. Um, yeah. I think the traditional yeah. Thanks to COVID model, as well, by the way. That's right. Um, the traditional model of either online lead generation to qualification to appointment or door to door, you know, call, you know, generating lead and that I think those I think those models are not going to go away, but they'll have to evolve um, because the stack and how much they had to pay, which is a, it's a very expensive acquisition model and very effective today. Yeah. But if you look and you start seeing that um, get squeezed, you're going to have to have a lot more efficient ways that you're doing that. And the, you know, so ultimately, I think it's it's bigger brands and bundling where it's going. I still believe that we have yet uh, and we will see Amazon buy a solar company. It is, it's just inevitable. Um, I think that it's it, as a service business, you're going to see, like you said, the major brands, Mercedes has already been into and out of the United States with their battery storage technology, right? Yeah. Um, Enphase, Enphase, you know, we as an industry see companies like Tesla and Enphase as, um, as incumbents and we see them still as startups. Like somehow we still in our minds think of them as startups, right? But these are major corporations, mm -hmm. multi-billion dollar, uh, Tesla soon probably to be a trillion dollar corporation, emblematic of the kinds of services that are being bundled. I mean, Enphase, just to continue on the, down that path, bought Twin Creeks. Is it Twin Creeks or Clipper, Clipper Creek? Um, they bought a Legion company. They bought a design company. They've bought 15 or 20 companies in the last two uh, plus years to, to effectively roll up and be able to offer bundled services, including leads to mm -hmm. their downstream partners. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to see more of that. Jordan, I, uh, I want to make sure I get a few of the goodies that I normally do from a, from a more of a philosophical perspective uh, to wrap the interview. I, I really uh, enjoy every time I get a chance to talk with you because you have such a deep bench of knowledge and, and team and experience. I'm curious around lessons learned. You know, we've, we've all heard the, the, con, the con, connotation of strong opinions loosely held. Uh, I'm curious where you have changed your mind or opinion when presented with you know, the facts in the field or research or data, especially in the last year or two with Fast Track? You know, I think the main thing that I look at is um, 
you know, just because it's been that way doesn't mean that it's going to continue to to operate that manner. And meaning that mm-hmm. when you look at some of the different players and participants and those sorts of things, like you just got to be open to that continuum evolving because I think it has to, right? As we, if you think about it as an organism, it's got to continue to grow, develop. Um, and so we just have to be well positioned to participate in the best way we can. Mm-hmm. Who or what? perhaps a company uh, impresses you in the industry right now and what characterizes them thus? So I think um, you may be familiar with um, the CEO, but there's a company called Sunstone Credit. So Josh Goldberg, uh, who's a dear friend, has also been in the solar industry for a long time, the CEO over there. And they're tackling that space of the small commercial, right? So anything from a you know, 50 kW light commercial to you know a megawatt or so, and I think that's been such an overlooked and a difficult market. And I think the way they're tackling it and the team that they've put together is just really smart, um, really on the ball and tackling what, again, is a very challenging and tough problem. So I think there's someone on the mind, if you're not familiar with them, that might be another great opportunity or someone to talk to. Yeah, I'd love to, I'd love an intro to Josh. I'm just looking on LinkedIn and we're not connected. So I'm reaching out to him, but I'd love an intro. I'd love to learn more about Sunstone and what they're doing. And you're right. Um, there are very few who have been able to in any way crack the nut on uh, on small commercial. And from a financing perspective, it's incredibly difficult. It's getting easier. Uh, my buddy Dustin Keel at SolRates has definitely created a product that, that helps in that regard. I'm always looking for more folks that I can learn more about uh, and connect our community with. I wonder if there are any salient takeaways or Lessons learned from the mentors that have helped you position yourself in your career and that you pass along to others as well. Is there anything that stands out for you that you learned from a mentor and helped you along the way? That's a great question. I've had a lot of terrific uh, mentors and former partners that have really, um, you know, helped me continue to grow and develop. And, you know, I think one of them in particular, um, local guy in Houston, runs a great private equity shop. And the things that he's impressed upon me is just how important for all the businesses that he's involved in, the familiarity and the the, the um, veracity of numbers and knowing what those are for your organization um, is so important. And um, making sure that you're thinking about that in terms of, hey, how do I how do I make sure that we know what our numbers are, not only for like external and sharing with different parties, but like we need to know these numbers. So I think that that's, you know, one of the things that he's always consistently done. And then what are some of the numbers that that he'd point to, if I can ask like a layer below that? What is what are some of those numbers? Right. That so you got to you got to break down at two different levels, levels. So key operational metrics. Um, so what's important to the business and why. Right. And that's going to be different based upon what you do and what your listener is, but then also um, in parallel is your financial numbers that sort of mirror those operational numbers. And um, it is something that. So the financial numbers are kind of like the the sanity check on the operational number. Sure. You got to do both. Right. And um, you know, we, Mm -hmm. I, I set them up usually that they're totally, you know, they're, Related, but they are in their own lanes. And because I want yeah. those checks back and forth and it helps you because then if you start to see something that doesn't make sense, i.e. they aren't lining up, then that's a quick sanity check to be like, hey, I got to dive into this, right? We might we might have an issue. What's going on here that could be 
um, prompting this. And what's too common and what I think has led to, I mean, certainly in residential solar, we can point to a number of different failures, bankruptcies, you know, dissolutions that are going on. They have no idea if they're making money and what the financial numbers are. They're looking at just some key operational metric for them. They're like, okay, that's all I'm going to look at. Maybe I'll glance at the bank account every now and then, but I have no idea. And right. I think that's, you know, quite frankly, led to and is leading to, um, you know, many companies that aren't going to be there any longer, which is a real shame um, yeah. from my perspective, because, um, and I think this is maybe another big takeaway is that, you know, in, in the early, early, early days of the solar and energy industry, it was, you know, it was kind of like, everyone was trying to kill each other, you know, it was like, <laughs> hmm. you know, it was, it was always sort of this very adversarial, very competitive. And maybe that was just me, but you know, it, it certainly felt like it um, across the board. And I think um, now it's like, Hey man, we need a bigger tent. We need to get more people underneath here. Yeah. Um, we've got a great opportunity. Why aren't we, why aren't we opening this up and saying, Hey, we got to get, we got to more people on this train um, because to affect an energy transition um, we need smart people with new ideas that are coming with a different perspective um, wow. that we just, you know, you know, we can't if we don't invite them within the tent. And so I think what, what you're doing here, Nico, and spreading the word and uh, educating people about, about different opportunities within the energy transition is just fantastic and couldn't thank you enough for, for what you're doing. Yeah. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate it as well. Jordan, before I let you go, I want to ask a couple of questions here about how you feed your mind and how uh, you keep yourself sharp. I believe that it's important for us to, I'm a, I'm a continuous learner an infinite learner. Uh, and, uh, and I love to learn from uh, others. That's why I created Suncast, but I also believe that leaders are readers um, and that readers are leaders. I'd love to know if there are any particular resources. I choose books, some uh, others choose different types of resources, but um, so where do you, get the information that helps you sharpen your mind? Are there any particular uh, sources that come to mind? Uh, so that's a great, that's a great question. Um, I do, you know, as uh, I make it a point to spend honestly 30 minutes to an hour a day kind of reading up on industry news, what's going on, technology mm -hmm. briefs um, to your point is like, how can you keep up with things if you aren't constantly investing into yourself and to educating yourself? Yeah. And so that's something I've consistently done in my entire career is, you know, it's important and I make time for um, investing in reading uh, so that I can learn because otherwise. Uh, where do you and where do you turn to? Are there places like bookmarks that you go to every day? Um, you know, I've got the. Um, so, you know, Solar Wake Up, which and I'm sure you know those guys, um, is a great mm -hmm. sort yep. of generator of links to check out and different stories that cover that. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of your, you know, the news sites, Google News, Apple News, those sorts of things. And I follow a lot of uh, have a lot of Google bookmarks that help me keep up with, hey, what people are doing. Um, so I think yeah. that's terrific. You know, I think, um, you know, investing in and reading about, you know, uh, business books. And, and most of those, what I'm really, really looking for is books about guys who've gone through the trials and tribulations of starting up businesses and what things that they found valuable. Mm -hmm. um, leadership books like um, Extreme Ownership is a great one that's um, 
Jocko Wilnick yeah. that, uh, you know, I think certainly is applicable to as a residential installer is like, man, you just you're going to get sand kicked in your eye just about every day. And you you have to have that mentality of like, good, like, let's uh, great. How are we going to fix yeah, this? Bring it. How are we going to do this? Great. And not if you if you get upset by that, then this is not the business for you. Um, and so I oh, think yeah. I think those are, you know, things that I try to do that um, I think help you know, help expand the mind. I think podcasts have certainly when I'm, you know, have some windshield time, uh, trying to listen to the guys talk about stuff that I might not know anything about. I think that's always really, uh, helpful too. Yeah. Um, are there any particular podcasts that you tune into besides Suncast, of course, besides Suncast, uh, of course. Um, you know, there's a few, I mean, Joe Rogan obviously is one, he has a lot of interesting guests on there, I think. Um, yeah. And then there's, um, and what are their names? Several other ones that are sort of tangentially related to that. Do you listen to industry podcasts? You know, I, I sometimes will listen to the, besides Suncast, I will sometimes listen to some industry podcasts, but for the most part, no, I don't, uh, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. I gotta be honest myself too. I, I, I do. Um, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn perpetually, so I am, a lot of my reading comes through there. Um, I do listen to a few industry podcasts occasionally. Uh, but I got, I mean, honestly, as a, as a creator of them uh, and, and uh, as many as we're doing, uh, it's mostly just to check in and see how others are evolving. And if there's anything I've missed right. from an angle or production quality, et cetera, you mentioned uh, extreme ownership will link to that. Any other books that have particularly shaped your influence or, or leadership style? Uh no, but I mean, right now I'm um, reading a book called Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card, which oh, Ender's Game is I'm great. Reading it to my two, an 11 year old and eight year old, and it was uh, yeah. a book that I loved growing up. Which was at the time, if, if you recall, like it really sort of um, foreshadowed the internet, video calls, yeah, blogging. I mean, so many different things, and it's a, uh, I think, an incredible book, and it's really a lot of fun to. To read that with my boy. I love that you're reading it to your kids. Yeah. Yeah. Helping them kind of and hoping that they love it as much as I did and um, really instill uh, the value of reading and, and education and having an open mind to them. Do you have any particular routines that help prime you or, or set the stage for the day, morning routine, evening routine, rituals? Um, man, I'd, I'd love to tell you that I would, um, you know. It kind of uh, is having small kids, which thankfully we just got out of school. So that's sort of going to ease things. But during the school year, you know, every single day is around getting them up, getting them going. Um, Most days I start with getting outside as quickly as I can and going for a walk. I think that really just kicks things off. And, you know, some days I feel like a run. Some days I feel like a walk. Just kind of depends on which kind of day that is. Right. Yeah. And that's really important just to kind of get things going and. Then we'll get yeah. ready. Do you do that with your family or just solo? Uh, dog? I got a dog and, uh, and then also we'll walk with my wife as well whenever she's up for it. Yeah. I love that. Um, Megan Nutting, actually, uh, our, our mutual friend, uh, and her husband and dogs go walk, go walking every morning. And according to her, at least she and Taylor listen to Suncast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like, I like to believe that people just tell me that. <laughs> yeah. Well, Megan's fantastic. Uh, yeah. She really is. Well, Jordan, uh, you're fantastic as well. And people are going to want, I'm sure, to reach out and connect with you. How do you like to be found? What's the best way for folks to connect with you? Uh, I'd say LinkedIn is probably the best way. 
Absolutely. We'll link to that in our show notes at mysuncast.com. Everyone uh, should be able to find that link in the uh, in the description right there in your podcast player. And uh, I want to end today, uh, as we always do, with what we call a bold prediction. And uh, since you've been spending a lot of your time financing and uh, essentially unlocking the potential for rooftop solar in the United States, I'd love to hear from you. What do you see as the critical path right now, the obstacle that we will need to overcome to truly unlock the vast potential for rooftop solar here in the United States? What's in your crystal ball, Jordan? Oh, man. Um, well, I think um, what's gonna, what is it, what it's going to take is for um, the infrastructure around not only installation, but service um, to be built around the country and such that it can support um, solar once it really reaches critical mass. I mean, you know, it's hard having been in it for so long, not to lose sight of the fact that we're still just a couple yards into a mile long race. Right. And so mm-hmm. there's still massive opportunity and need for, as I said earlier, bringing others underneath the tent because we need a whole lot more people um, that are going to be part yeah. of the solar industry, the energy transition. Again, it's really beyond solar. It's really like all these different things. Nico is how do we think about how, how we're managing it? How are we using the data and the intelligence from, um, you know, consumers behavior, how are we using energy storage to, to sort of help produce a better service for the customer there? And so I think the big bold prediction is that we're just going to continue to see, a lot more people and resources and infrastructure built out across the country so that we stop thinking about solar as being a, Hey, it's a California thing or it's a New Jersey thing, or it's a Florida thing. It's going to be everywhere. And we really, yeah. we really need that desperately. Well, as we see this infrastructure become ubiquitous, no longer a regional resource. Uh, I too hope that, we can build the infrastructure to service and install this booming industry, both from a people perspective and a product perspective. We'll be covering it here on Suncast as we do each and every week. I thank you, Jordan Fruget, for joining us here, founder and CEO of Fast Track Energy Services, located in Houston, Texas. Still in Houston, right? Still in Houston. Houston, Arkansas, and Louisiana, if you have the need for a reliable and fast solar installation provider. You can turn to Jordan and his team at Fast Track Energy Services. Jordan, thanks for taking the time to join me here on Suncast. Long time coming, my friend. Absolutely. I'm glad we got together. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap on today's practical insights into this true solar warrior and industry founder, icon, pioneer, Jordan Fruget's journey. What did you learn? What will you share with those in your sphere of influence? I'm so honored that you chose to spend the last 60 plus minutes with us. Thank you for that investment. I hope that you have gotten a just reward for your time and attention. Please take a moment and reflect, really reflect. What can you apply to your business, to your career, to those around you? Now that you have had an opportunity to learn from one of the entrepreneurs that I consider to be one of the greats, one of the guys that really understands where the industry is going and how to build the infrastructure around it, how to build iconic brands like Sonova, you're welcome. <laughs> Since I know you're going to be online, 
because that's probably how you found out about this episode, please take a moment and leave us a comment. I think we have finally updated the description in your podcast player so that you could just click straight through to the Suncast podcast LinkedIn page where you'll easily find this and other episodes that we have left a post around. I'd love it if you would just leave a comment about what this episode meant to you, how it inspired you. And believe me, it makes such a difference. Other people see that. It helps to amplify our voice so that others can learn just like you have for the last 60 minutes. And of course, the other easy way right inside your podcast player of choice is to rate the podcast. Give it that five-star enthusiastic thumbs up and also your review. It matters to those who maybe don't find us on the web or on social media, but simply look for other podcasts like this if they're listening to Catalyst or Energy Gang or Factor This or any of the other wonderful podcasts out there covering this industry. Thanks for helping us get found. We're eager to help you and yours. I hope that you'll tune in next week. We'll have our friend Tristan Arian Larico back on the show. If you heard his cameo in this past week's episode with Trina, he'll be talking about the PVL PV scorecard, followed by Carrie Zaleski, the outgoing chair of the Illinois Public Utility Commission. Yes, I'm still digging into this topic about how can we leverage the power of our regulators. You need to understand this. So tune in next week. You won't want to miss it. If you are eager to keep learning, I know you are. That's why you're tuning in. Then please follow along over at mysuncast.com. Click through to the show notes where we have transcripts, other episodes that you can click and find, and all of the resources and highlights from this and every other discussion along with the social media links, book recommendations, so much more for you to learn over at mysuncast.com. There's even a, a listener survey for your, you know, two or three minutes investment. We'll give you our 600 Insights uh, ebook that we recently published after our episode 600. Hope that you will take a minute to learn more about that at mysuncast.com. And one more thing, I want to thank the wonderful folks at SunGrow and uh, many other companies that along our path have helped ensure that this content gets to you for free each and every week. It makes such a difference, doesn't it? You don't have to really pay anything other than the last 65 minutes of your life and you get all this wonderful life-changing content. Thank you to our sponsors. You can learn more about them and what they bring to the world at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. And that's also how you could learn ways to partner with us to reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions twice a week. How you could connect to our community, how you could find out about our other podcasts in the Resource Labs network, and how you could work directly with me one-on-one -on -one if you need clarity on where your business or career is headed. But remember, as I always say, you are what you listen to and who you surround yourself with. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. That is half the battle.